it was like something hit my heart and I just knew that God existed and and I was like I'll do whatever you want Holy Spirit enter my life you know and I felt like there was like all the weight was lifted off of me and everything was going to be okay and time slowed down and like I didn't even remember people around me or anything like that so it was definitely a spiritual experience. Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. And today I'm sitting here with Josh. Um, hi, Josh. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I think we met at, let me think, was it Thirst Quenchers or was it here? I think it was at New Hope. New Hope Friday? the first time. Oh, but I see you everywhere now. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. Um, and it wasn't that long ago either. It was like maybe... Mm, I don't know, six months ago at the most? Five months? What do you I, think? I think it was probably three, four, five three, months, four, five, something yeah. like that. All right. When's your sobriety date? Uh, my sobriety date is September 18th, 2021. And I have to change that because my sobriety date before that, that I was getting chips for, was uh, 4th of July, 2021. And then going through my fourth step again, I realized, oh my gosh, I did drink, holy cow. And it was kind of a downer because I wanted 4th of July to be my sobriety date so bad because that was the date that I got completely annihilated. And I woke up to my brother punching me in the face. And so that was like one of those wake up things. Yeah. But looking back at it, it's kind of like perfect because it's like, I want my sobriety date to be 4th of July. I want that, you know, and you go and pick your sobriety. Right. Date, exactly. Right? Like right. I want that. I want that to happen. And then it's like, Oh, well, it's not about what I want. It's about what's truthful and honest. And it's, it's helped me yeah. just in that way. So how, how many months is that then? I believe that's seven months going on eight. All right. Yeah. It's close, huh? All right, so um, why don't you, you know, start us from the beginning? You know, what uh, you can tell us about your first drink. You know, what led up to that. You know, what uh, when things went off the rails and how you landed here and what life's like today. So, all right. So when I was growing up, I grew up in Wyoming, southwestern Wyoming, near the Uinta Mountain Range, and. My dad would give us beers every once in a while when we were on fishing trips with him. It's kind of like a, here you go, you know, like you did good or whatever kind of thing. And it never really affected me, I'd say, you know, like my alcoholic mind hadn't like clicked at that point. It was just kind of like, okay. But I remember my first actual drunk and that was when I was 14. And it was at a, uh, a party that my brother was hosting. He was four years older than me, so he would have been 18. Mm -hmm. So he was in high school and I was in middle school. And I remember going to this party. It was at our, um, our dad's first house. It was like across the street from the house he built. And it was just like a single wide trailer that he did a bunch of additions to that no one ever used. So we just turned it into a party house. And I remember going from room to room and you know, that first drink was just like, you know, okay, this is, I'm, I'm like trying to hang out with the big kids, you know, whatever. 
but I don't remember what drink it was, but it was just like, it hit me like, oh my gosh, you could feel like this? Holy cow, you know? And I would go from room to room and each room they were doing something different. Like I remember one room they were playing a drinking game. I think it was 7-Elevens or doubles. And I was like, oh, you can play games and drink too? Like, this is amazing, you know? <laughs> and then they were playing spin the bottle in the other room. And I was like, oh, you can kiss girls and drink? Like, this is, this is what I want the rest of my life kind of thing. And I remember that night so vividly because it was just like everything that I wanted, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be part of the group. I wanted to feel confident, you know, all those things really um, gelled in, in that. And I, it's actually kind of funny because that was the same night that my brother was doing boxing with the guys in a certain room. And... I went in there and I was completely just, I, I was out of my mind drunk because it was my first time really getting drunk. And we were playing drinking games with hard alcohol and, you know, we were just going crazy. And no one wanted to box my brother because he was a big guy. He was a football player and kind of guy. So, and I was like, I'll do it. I'll box you. You know, you're, you ain't that big, whatever. So they put the gloves on me and, and he couldn't like knock me down and I was like come on you know like giving everything I could and they were playing and I was like I have to beat my brother up you know <laughs> and he punched me through a wall like he uppercutted me so hard that I flew through the sheetrock and everything into like a closet and everybody like picked me up and then they were like put my arm up in the air and it was just like <laughs> you know this is so cool um but I guess I should back up just a little bit um I grew up in a predominantly Mormon uh, town, and we were Lutheran, and religion was a huge part of my my family and myself at that point. And when I was eight, my dad died of cancer, and he had had cancer since I was like four, and he had fought it that whole time. And we were going, you know, as the kids, we would like be sent to to friends of friends of friends and family members to go live for extended periods of time because my dad was so sick that they couldn't have us at the hospital that for that amount of time and he was a huge part of my life and you know after he died it was kind of like I turned very resentful towards God like how could you do this he was such a good person like he was the best person I'd ever known he was my hero and he was gone. And it was just like, I can't believe this has happened. Um, so my mom remarried like a year or two after to this guy named George. And he was an ex-military guy and he was very overbearing. And, you know, they'd messed up a surgery for him. And he basically had a golden parachute. He had more money than I could even think of and so he was always doing these huge cool projects and he taught me a lot he he taught me how to weld and you know even as a young kid and weld and framing and all this kind of stuff but he was a total a-hole man <laughs> like just like the worst and because of the pills he was on he was always up and down and up and down and then kind of going back to the religious thing he like when we were going back to our church, they were kind of like ostracizing us. And because he was not, you know, he was a Catholic, not a, a Lutheran. And at a certain point, they 
kicked us out of the church because my mom said something stupid like um, she didn't believe that the world was created in seven 24-hour days, that God's time is different than, their, than our human time. You can't really put a number on it. So they kicked us out of the church. So I was even more resentful to God because now it's like, you know, you live in a predominantly Mormon town, so you're already, you know, 10% of the population, you're already a little bit different than everybody else. And now we're kicked out of our church. And so it was like, I felt very alone. I grew up in the, a very rural spot, you know. We were 14 miles from town and very far away from our closest neighbors, really. And so I isolated myself, even inside my family. And a lot of my family isolated. My sister isolated my brother. You know, we all kind of, after my dad died, it was like, a paradigm shift like something big happened and we all kind of had to deal with that in our own way um, I didn't really start drinking drinking until I was 16 17 when I could drive and growing up in the country you know when you can drive that's when you get your freedom and I would go to friends houses that their parents drink every day they're definitely alcoholic and I mean one of the guys left you know, six cases of beer on his porch and he let kids drink whenever, whatever, as long as there were six cases of beer on that porch for him. And so we had basically an unlimited supply of alcohol. I mean, when I was a little kid, all I ever wanted to do was get a job and get a car so I could go buy candy because I wanted candy. You know, it's like, that's so cool. My brother can go and buy Reese's Pieces. That's so cool. That's all I want. And then when I started drinking, all I wanted was alcohol. It's like, you know, you, I grew up a little bit and it was like, oh, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. And so it was just party, party, party. Um, when I got into high school, I, I look back on it now and I can't believe that I even came close to graduating. Like it was bad. Um, just side anecdote. <laughs> I remember, you know, years later, a girl I met in a bar and she's like, oh, I know you. And I'm like, who are you? And she's like, oh yeah, I met you in high school. You don't remember? I'm like, no, I don't remember you. She's like, yeah, I remember it. Like it was yesterday. My first day as a freshman, I was so excited to go to school and you were passed out in the hallway. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you were passed out in the hallway and you're trying to, you're like saying, hey, do you want some of this screwdriver? And she's like, I didn't even know what that was. I was just, you know, and so it's like looking back on it, it's like, holy cow, I was, I was drinking hard even in, you know, senior year. Mm -hmm. And I didn't end up graduating. I was half a credit short, which is a whole nother story. I felt very resentful and angry towards my school because I had done all this extra work so I could graduate. And then two weeks before graduation, they're like, oh, you're still half a credit short. And it's like, what the heck? So I went directly into, I'm setting up the graduation party in my basement and <laughs> getting kegs. And, you know, that's pretty much who I was, was just like, I defined myself with alcohol even at that age. And after my stepdad and my mom broke up, she went into a bottle and my older siblings had moved on to their lives. And so I've, I felt like everybody had given up on me and everyone was against me. And so I was very much into just isolation slash wanting to do whatever I could to, to just buck the system, buck the church, buck, you know, the whole thing. Um, when I was 
17, no, eight, eight, I was eight, 18. When I was 18, um, I got a job out in the oil fields. Uh, it was actually a welding job. And I was a welder's apprentice and I really liked it, but it was just like, I wasn't old enough to go into the bar. So guys at work would go to the bar and bring me back room, back drinks to my room. And we would just party in my room, my hotel room, living out of a hotel room. And I uh, met this guy named Wally. He was um, one of the kids that I didn't really grow up with because he was in a lot more trouble than I was because of his circumstances. And he got me another job out there at the next town over. And I was driving back and forth between the towns to see my girlfriend every night. And I was drinking and driving on the highway every night. You know, I'd hang out with the guys, get drunk, go to my girlfriend's house, and then come back. Um, so I lost that job because of that, because I wasn't sleeping, you know, just show up to work and I was completely shit faced and they're like, bye, we'll find another guy. And so then I started living with that guy, Wally and the way he was paying his rent was he was robbing people in the community like businesses. Um, and basically I'd saved up a bunch of money from that job and I was just like, on the party wagon, you know, I was just going from party to party to party, party house, party house. And in a small town, it's easy to find because everybody talks and everybody knows where it's at. And so I decided it would be a good idea to start living with them. And basically what would transpire was they'd get me really drunk because I would told them, I'm not going to go steal stuff. I'm not going to go rob stuff. You know, that's stupid. And then once I got completely shit-faced it was like I'll drive you there because you guys don't know what you're doing you know like I can break into a place that's super easy watch you know and we burglarized like seven different places um and then we we every time it had to be a place that had alcohol it was like bowling alley bars if they didn't have alcohol, I didn't want to rob it because all I wanted to do was to take the alcohol and then have another six months to drink or another three months to drink, you know, and ended up robbing my own church that I grew up in for the, the communion wine is <laughs> bad, man. And, you know, at that point, we had robbed a bowling alley, the local bowling alley, and we had more alcohol than I knew what to do with. Like it was, it filled up an entire closet. We, I basically took everything behind the bar in one shot. And long story short, Wally got picked up by the cops coming down to Colorado to meet his sister. And then shortly after, they sh- all the cops showed up at the house there in Fort Bridger. And, you know, it was like, it was almost like a cry for help thing for me because I was dying, you know, like I had lost so much weight. I wasn't eating anything. And I, uh, I went to jail and they left me in the, the drunk tank for like, two days and they didn't give me any food or anything like that. But now looking back on it, it's because I was detoxing. Like they didn't want to put me into circulation while I was still just complete, like on medical call basically. 
So they put me into circulation and they wanted to get a confession out of me, but I had already pretty much given them a confession because I was just like, I want help. You know, I don't want to die like this. I know that there's a good person inside of me, but it's not me. Like this is not who I want to be. And so I got charged and it was, I was looking at like 40 years in prison and they, my mom got me a good lawyer and they did like a plea deal and they said like, okay, you do this, um, military school and then you do four years of probation and a treatment center for your alcoholism and then it'll all go away. And I was like, okay, you know, like I want to do the right thing. I want to do what's good. And one night when I was sitting in jail waiting for all that to go through, um, my cell cellmate was a drunk and he, he was, he had had like six DUIs or some ridiculous amount. It was like four or five. I can't remember, but I remember him, you know, giving me some advice and being like, here's a Bible, here's a big book, you know, do what you can, like give, give me help, you know? And I remember like looking at the Bible and being like, I don't believe this, but you know, I want, I want something. So I remember opening the Bible and being like, well, where should I start? And it's like, well, I'll start in Joshua. It's my namesake, you know, why not? So I opened it up and I read um, Joshua starting at the beginning. And I think it's one nine talks about being strong and very courageous for I will be with you wherever you will go. And it was like something hit my heart and I just knew that God existed. And and I was like, I'll do whatever you want. Holy Spirit, enter my life, you know? And I felt like there was like, all the weight was lifted off of me and everything was going to be okay and time slowed down and like I didn't even remember people around me or anything like that so it was definitely a spiritual experience and soon after I was released of my own on my own recognizance and they said okay this new class for the military school starts in like three weeks you have three weeks to get your life in order and I remember driving with my mom up to that military school which was like across the state. And I was just in, I was a wreck. I was just nervous and scared and all the weight was coming down on me. And about halfway through, I just was like, mom, I can't do this right now. I need alcohol. Like I need it so bad. Like you can see me, I'm freaking out. And she bought me like a fifth of pop off vodka and I continued to drink. I drank it and drove up to this place all the way across the state. And it's just, you know, and going into the military school, you know, I, I knew it was going to be tough, but it, I knew that it could help me. So I gave it my all and it was really, really good for like three months. And they were super tough on you. You know, it's military school. And, you know, I, I felt like I kind of helped galvanize our unit together and you know we were working as a team and we were getting all kinds of like privileges because we were such a good team and we did what we needed to do and we were all excelling in the GED program and it was really good and part of the being part of the leadership is you got to choose what you could go and do if you wanted to go outside of military school and I took every single community service thing that I could because I just didn't want to be in there all the time you know this is basically prison and so I remember one time I got a, the opportunity to go and do landscaping at the local golf course. And I was like, heck yeah, I'll be outside, you know, and I'll be doing my own thing and I don't care if I'm working, you know, I'll do that. 
And I remember we were raking up leaves like power raking. And I remember these guys that were golfing, you know, just going through and I saw them throw away. They like each had a drink out of a beer and they had a six pack with them and they threw it away. And my mind was like, I'm going to go drink that. There's nobody else around. There's four good beers and two wounded soldiers. I'm going to go drink that. And I went and I downed all of that. And I actually even found some chew in there and I was like, Ooh, nicotine, you know, I want some of that. So I put that in my lip and I got away with it. Like I was just like, I can't believe that I have done this, you know, and it wrecked me because I was like on the right track. I was doing good, doing good in school, doing good in the military school. Like it was good. And it was just like, how did that happen? You know, it's like, how am I so weak? And I was so down on myself. And basically what happened was I took aside one of the cadre, which is like one of the guards basically. And I was like, look, man, I got to tell you. And I told him what had happened. And I basically told him all the bad stuff that was happening in the military school, like, you know, all the theft and all the people like taking cigarettes and stashing them. Cause I knew where they were. Cause I was one of the older kids and, you know, I was kind of like the, the, the criminal mentor of a lot of them, you know, and to fit in, in that kind of environment, you kind of have to do that. And that's how I felt about it. But I never told him any names. I just said, I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that. And the cadre was like, he's like, there's no way you did all of this. You know, these, these that's not even your room. You couldn't have done that, you know. And I was like, no, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying somebody else did it, but I'm saying, I'm not saying I did it. I'm just saying where it is because I think we can clean this place up and help help these kids out, you know, because I knew that if I had screwed up in that military school, they were going to send me to prison. So I thought I was going to prison. And I remember those guys, you know, they went from room to room and went right to where they were supposed to go and got all the stuff. And all the kids were like, you know, you're a rat, you're a piece of crap because they had saw me go talk to that guy for two hours, you know? (laughs) And I remember one morning we woke up and you had to toe the line and there was guys yelling you know, like, we're going to kill you, you know, we're going to beat your ass, whatever. And it was very different than every other day because you don't speak when you're on that line, you know, like you stand to attention, you do not move, nothing. And I remember the cadre was like, look, guys, every single one of you that's yelling right now, I know who you are. I know what room you're in and I know who did what. He's taking the fall for all of you. So you just need to shut up, you know? And all of those guys broke regulation, came down and shook my hand and went back because they knew that like I might go to prison because I was trying to help everybody. And that was kind of like a galvanizing point in my life that was like, I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. I'm going to try and do the best that I can do because I don't want to go back down that path. You know, I always felt like to be a true human being, you have to know the the most evil you can do and the most good you can do and try and be on that side of the line. You know, if you've never been truly evil and never felt that despair and loneliness and fear, I kind of feel like you're, you're missing a part of yourself. Just like if you've never felt true love or happiness or bliss, you're kind of missing something. So I got out of the program. I broke up with my girlfriend so that I could hang out with this other girl. And I ended up marrying that other girl. And it was basically just like, 
everyone was saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And I was like, I'm going to go do it. So I was like on the high horse, you know, like out of military school, I was buff as heck. And, you know, I got a good job prospects and I had my life worked out. Were you sober? I was sober. Yeah. I was sober at that point. Um, I, uh, got married. I moved to the next town over with her. And the plan was to have her go to college as I worked. So I was working in the oil field and I was working, you know, 18, 19 hours a day. And she started a night job as a CNA, learning to be a CNA. And then one week, I mean, it was probably only six months that that went on. It was nice (laughs) for about six months. And then she just disappeared for like a week, two weeks. And I was calling everybody. I called the police. I called her mom. I called her parents, everybody. And she has just like dropped off the face of the earth. And I was tore up about it. But what ended up happening was um, she called me finally and said, you know, hey, we need to talk. I'm leaving you. You know, like we're not working out. And it was just like devastating. And she came and got She's like, oh, I'm going to get my stuff Monday. I was like, no, you're going to come and get it now. We need to talk. And then so she left and took everything and I felt like I had lost everything. You know, it's like, here I am trying to do the right thing and be a good person, all this stuff. And then that's when my probation officer was like, you have to start doing these treatment classes. So I went to treatment. So I was working, I had to quit that job because it didn't work with the schedule. Got another job at a fabrication shop. And so I'd have to show up early there to get off early enough to go to treatment in the next town over. And after about three months of that treatment, I was like, this is crap. Like, my life is terrible. Here I am just shilling out money to this treatment center that I don't need. I don't need this. And my life is terrible. And so what I ended up doing was drinking, you know. I hooked up with some of the guys that were in that treatment center. And it was just like, let's go drink, man. Like, I want to go get drunk. (laughs) And so for like another three months, it was go to work at four in the morning, do work, go to treatment, party all night. And it only lasted a few weeks, really. I mean, because that's what I wanted to do was drink. And there came a point where I was, you know, not sleeping, not eating, going right back into the same same stuff. And I had woke up and I had had a dream that I, I had my, uh, my ex-wife's head in the freezer you know, and it's just like, okay, this is getting kind of freaky, you know, like this is enough for me. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend that was sober in treatment and I talked to them and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like I can't win for losing. I feel like the world's against me. And she's told me, she's like, what you need to do is you need to cut ties with everybody that's a bad influence in your life right now. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it. And I went to all those people in the treatment center. I was just like, sorry. And I, it was hard because I liked these people. They were good people. But it was like, look, I have to just cut off every single person that I think is a drinking buddy or whatever. And I graduated from that about two weeks later. They saw the change in me, and I graduated. Um, so the next probably six years was me making a plan, not following through with it, going back to drinking, making a plan, not going through with it, going back to drinking. I was on probation this whole time. Um, 
my probation officer was a very corrupt person and I had a lot of dirt on her. So she let me get away with a lot of crap, but it wasn't good. Um, I was 21 when I finally got off probation. And so we went out and partied. Um, I was in college at that time and you know, it was basically like the worst, you know, like I can't believe that I didn't die through any of that. I got back together with my wife. She wanted to make it work. I wanted to make it work. So I sobered up and I was like, look, I'm starting school again next semester. Either I'm going back to the dorms or we'll get a house in that town and we can rent. And it'll be the opposite of what we had going before where I'm going to go to school and you're going to work this time, you know, like we're going to make it work. And she's like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do it. So I, uh, we did that and it lasted about six months. And then, you know, it was just a bunch of little crappy behavior, like her quitting her job and not saying anything. And then me ending up having to like sell my vehicle so that I could make rent because she lied about it. And, oh, I just didn't want to make you angry. You know, it's just like, well, now I am angry, you know. So when she left again, it was like two days after we found out she was pregnant with our little girl. And it was just devastating again, you know. It's just like, how can this happen again? And I went on even worse benders, you know. And I basically did that in that town. Didn't work was just making, you know, money on odd jobs here and there and living off of basically roommates making rent. And <laughs> she uh, she called me up and said, hey, uh, you need to get down here. Well, it was actually my sister-in-law. It was like, hey, you need to get down here. Your daughter's born. And I was at like a Denny's because we had been drinking all night and I was still drunk. And they're like, you need to get down here. Your daughter just was born. And I went there. I drove there, like I went home and cleaned up a bit. And then I drove to the hospital. And the first time I ever held my daughter, I was like still drunk from the night before. And it was like, I didn't know how to feel, you know, I didn't know what to do. And that's pretty much the story of my life right there is I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel. Um, I went back to live with my mom for a while, kind of home base, you know, and my ex moved to Arkansas. And I was like, well, I'm never gonna see my kid if she lives all the way in Arkansas. And my mom was kind of pushing me to like, hey, go live with your sister in Tulsa. Go live with your sister in Tulsa, you'll be good. And around that point, I got a, my first DUI after a concert. It was total bull crap, but you know, hey, you got it, you got it. And so they, they made me do mad and they made me do, you know, all this stuff. But they also said that I had to go to AA meetings and I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you want. And that's when I was talking the talk, you know, like, oh, I've been through treatment. I know how to say, play this game. And so they're like, we feel like you're too confident in your sobriety. And I was like, F you, I've been sober. Like what the hell? Ooh. <laughs> but, um, so I started going to AA in that little town and for the first little while it was bad because most of the people would go to AA and then they'd go in their truck and get drunk, you know? And there was like maybe two people out of the six or seven that went there that actually were like, had done the program. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is AA, this is weird, you know? 
But one of my buddies that was a drinking buddy of mine was there, and that made it better because at least I had somebody I could relate to, you know, somebody who was trying to be sober. And then I met my first sponsor, um, Sean. He was awesome. He was from Oklahoma, and he had worked his steps, and he was, like, telling these people in these meetings, like, you're doing this wrong. Like, you're just coming in here for therapy. You're not working the steps. You're not even talking about the steps. Like, what the hell? And I was like, I want what that guy has. (laughs) Like, I want that. So I latched on to him and we went through the steps and I was about to move. I had like two weeks before I moved and I went through the steps in like 48 hours. We like went and rented out a room at the library and I sat there and I wrote my four step for like six hours straight. And he'd come in every once in a while and be like, oh no, 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 do it this way. You know, like, no, do it that way. So I went through the steps and as soon as I did my fifth step, it was like the pink cloud instantly you know, it's just like, wham, I feel so much better and life's going to be good and we're going to be all right. He's like, you know, go to this meeting in Tulsa, go to that meeting in Tulsa. And then I never saw him again just after I moved. Like he was that kind of guy that was like roughing it out in the back country and pack, backpacking through snow and all this, you know, just crazy guy. He had a crazy story. But um, so then I did AA in Tulsa and I actually got custody of my daughter there for a little while. That was good. Uh, I started college again and I got a 4.0 in college that time because I was sober and I was like, I want to do this right. You know, like I've always wanted to go to college. I've always wanted to do this. And I was hitting, you know, midnight meetings and two o'clock meetings. There was a lot of meetings there in Tulsa. I really liked it because, you know, if I got off at 11, I could hit two meetings that night, you know, and it was, it was a great time in my life. Um, I still wasn't on the God train because I still had the resentments, I still had the the, um, the past with all of that. So I was kind of using the whole like group is my, con- you know, the group is my higher power and all that. And then when I moved here to Denver to live with my brother and try and get full, full custody of my daughter, because my ex had moved back to Wyoming, I stopped going to AA meetings completely. So I stopped doing the 12th step, and then I stopped doing the 11th step, and I stopped doing the 10th step. And I was still sober, and I still remembered some of the tricks, you know, like don't drink when you're angry and, you know, call somebody or, you know, like don't drink when you're emotionally upset, like all that kind of stuff. But then after a while, I started drinking just like, oh, I, I can do this. You know, the whole like lie we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. I, can, I can go back to drink. You know, I can have a drink. Oh, it's just beer. You know, oh, it's just this. It's just that. And I did that for years for like three years and that's when I actually started like seeing my extended family that I'd never really seen when I was a kid and being like oh (laughs) we're all alcoholics like every single one of the people person around this room is an alcoholic and there's no denying it like no one would deny it um and then just recently you know I'd been going to AA meetings because I met some guys that I worked with who were going to AA and it's like you know I should go back to AA and you know I don't drink that much but I should go back because I know that sometime I'm gonna freaking go back on my on my you know craziness and so basically what happened was my my daughter went I had her for like five years going to school here in Frederick and She went to 
her mom's for a Christmas vacation and she never came back. Her mom, I don't know if it was my daughter or her mom that said that I had touched her inappropriately, but it's basically like a grab for power, you know, like she had no foot to stand on, you know, like I had full custody. I'd been doing good for so many years, you know, it's like the only way that she could do it to where she could have custody of Jolene and it hurt and I knew immediately I need to call a guy from AA right now because my first initial thought as it always is is well I know it'll fix this alcohol will fix this and it's like I've been through enough <laughs> that I knew I can't drink over this because I, I built my life around my daughter you know that's all I wanted to be was a dad all I wanted to be was a good dad and so I called the guy that I knew was in AA and he was, I was like, can you come help me through this? You know? And after a couple of days, it was like, well, there's a Friday night meeting. Let's go to the Friday night meeting. So I went to the Friday night meeting with him and I haven't stopped. <laughs> um, this time going through my sobriety, it's, it's very much more honesty, more reality, more spiritual because it's like what what was different from when I went back to drinking from now it's like I don't believe in God and I know I don't believe in God and it was like I'm just gonna do whatever they say in the book and whatever my ment my um, sponsor says I'm just gonna do it because these guys have done it for years you know like I had that I had like five years of good sobriety in the program even without God and it was still better than anything I'd had before or after. So I was like, I want it. And I wanted it so bad that it was just like hurting me. You know, like I know that the fourth and fifth step sucks. I know that making amends sucks, but I also know what it feels like when you complete them and you get it done. So that was like such a hopeful thing for me, you know, and things were on track to where, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to get custody of my daughter, but I'll be able to see her and no part charges have been pressed or anything like that. But it's kind of one of those things where I realized that even though I wasn't drinking at those points, I was still being an alcoholic. I was still selfish about everything. I was still trying to run the show. And with my daughter, it was like, you could see it, you know, I could see it like looking back on it. It's like, yeah, I was like, you have to do this and you have to do that. And I was running her life completely. And whenever she'd go on a long vacation with her mom, I'd go right back to drinking with my brother and just right after it. So, you know, where I'm sitting now is like, I'm living in the moment more. I'm less angry. I'm more in line with the principles and you know, the, the, the promises for sure. I'm very happy to be in the program again. I'm happy for a second chance. And, you know, I think my, one of my biggest hangups with the, the whole God thing was that I felt like I had to be perfect in his eyes and I had to do everything just right. And if I didn't, then it was hell and fire and brimstone and damnation. And I've come to realize that, you know, that's not necessarily true and that the my higher power my creator is more forgiving than he is vengeful and they're 
they're willing to to meet me halfway where it's like i i'm giving what i can and i know i screwed up but you know if if you'll just give me this day this daily reprieve today i'll do whatever i can for whatever you want me to do and i feel like a different person it's weird <laughs> well hey that's awesome um as long as i've known you I, I like I can't say you are a different person, but you are a different person. You know, I've only known you like six months, um, but you know I see you at all the meetings out here, and uh, it looks like you're really trying, like you're really doing it, man. So congratulations on you know the time that you have now and your spiritual awakenings and everything. Um, it seems to be working out. I'm glad. Um, Thank you. Got a question. A couple questions up mm -hmm. here. So, that one time when you got fired, what did they did they tell you you're an alcoholic or you drink too much or you have a problem or anything? Which time? So it was a <laughs> like I, I don't know how old you were here. Very young. You you said that you um, that you went to this job. And they said they don't know they don't need you anymore because you oh, were just okay. busy like like you would come in you would be drinking all night right so you would come in like hungover and right they let you go so that was basically me just me not showing up you know okay. I'd be in the next town with my girlfriend mm -hmm. and then I'd wake up and it's like eleven o'clock mm -hmm. and I still have an hour drive to get back and I just call in wow. and call in and call in okay so it was like um, a no show thing that yeah kind of absolutely fired, huh? right did anybody at any point. Like around your early drinking, say you have a problem. Like, did you ever get one of those? Oh yeah, all the time. Really? I mean, yeah. I never had like in high school. I don't remember anybody being like, "You're an alcoholic." Well, it's high like, school, right? <laughs> I remember, <laughs> you know, I remember one time when I was working at the fabrication shop when I was going to treatment. Mm -hmm. um, so the treatment center had like a super stringent um program at the beginning and then they did less and less as you went on yeah. and as they did less and less um the guy i was working with as a welder he was like hey man you should do karate because i did um like taekwondo when i was in the military school and i was like okay yeah i love karate you know like let's go, let's go do it and they had the the dojo was like in an old like 1800s building it was like the original um like town hall and so there's like three stories and the very top floor was the dojo where they had all the mats and everything and then i was walking into the dojo one day and putting on my sneakers and you know getting everything ready and i saw my step aunt walking into the building and i was like what the heck are you doing here like you live in the mountains like way over there and she's like oh i'm going to an aa meeting you should come like you belong here <laughs> you know and i'm like what it's like no i'm gonna go to karate and she's like all right, but next week, you need to come. And so I went down there, and that was like, it was weird, man. Like, they had it was like 1800s building, so the roofs in the basement were like five feet tall, and they had like drop like single light bulbs down there, and they had all the. It was like, yeah, like the boiler room was like exposed, you know. It was like it was like something out of a book or it's a, a movie. Real basement. Yeah, meeting. basement meeting. Yeah, nice. and I went in there, and you know. I kind of told them like my story and stuff and they were all like yeah okay yeah you come, come back come back and i was like i ain't coming back no way there's no way i'm coming back to this 
So, um, if you could give yourself a piece of advice throughout all of this, you know, a young Josh back then, what would you say? What would you tell yourself? I think I would tell tell myself, take it easy. You know, like you have a lot of time ahead of you. Yeah. And you don't have to be perfect. And just enjoy where you are right now. You know what I mean? Like, especially young me, you know? Like, you don't have to get a mohawk to be different. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to get in fistfights to be a cool kid. You don't have to drink every night to be cool. You don't. It's okay, you know? So take it easy, and it'll be okay. It's okay. Right. Any uh, final words for our listeners? Um, no. I mean, every every meeting I go to, um, they say, you know, are there any AA-related announcements or does anyone have burning a burning desire? desire? Yeah. And I always want to blurt out what they used to blurt out in Oklahoma, which is AA is fun. Really? Yeah. I never heard that. That's cool. It can be fun. Thanks, Josh, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the Recovery Edge podcast. I'd like to thank the listeners as well. Uh, Remember that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you like to check out your podcasts. Share us with a friend, and if you know somebody who would love to share their story on the podcast, send me an email at recoveryedge2020 at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.